If you like the sweet science, get ready to talk boxing on the Gloved Fist podcast with top boxing writers Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. Frank, a former amateur boxer out of Philadelphia, writes for NY Fights and can be seen on the Boxing Channel. Jack, an amateur boxer who competed in the New York Golden Gloves, was a six-term president of the Boxing Writers Association. And now, here's Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. And we're back. Welcome to Glove Fist, wherever you may be, wherever you may be watching. My name is Frank Letirzo, former fighter, part-time writer, full-time observer. And I am joined by Jack Hirsch, former Boxing Writers of Association president. And Jack, once again, a lot of fights this weekend, a lot of things on the plate. The lightweight division has been pretty active. We've had boxing. We've had three of the elite guys fight. In the last two weeks, and we have another one coming up this coming week. So we have a lot to talk about. Hey, the two big lightweight stars, Devin Haney and Tank Davis, uh, they basically own the weekend. And Devin Haney impressed a lot of people winning a unanimous decision over Jojo Diaz. And Devin Haney's the WBC franchise champion. champion. It's a nonsensical title completely nonsensical because George Cambosis really holds the best claim to the lightweight type title. And he holds the WBC version as well. Uh, but Devin Haney, three years ago when I saw him fight at Madison Square Garden, small arena, the Hulu Theater, I reported on the fight for the publication I write for Boxing News. And I wrote down that Devin Haney could be a generational star. I mean, I saw him being conceivably an all-time great in the mold of a Sugar Ray Leonard, a Tommy Hearns, a Marvin Hagler. And, you know, he, he seemed on track that way until a couple of fights ago against Jorge Linares. He was doing great. When he stepped up. He stepped up and he did great for nine rounds. He dominated for nine rounds, but then he got buzzed. He lost the last three rounds, was holding on. And he earned a decision over tough Jorge Linares. And I wondered, was that just a little blip at the end of the fight? Okay. But he didn't, you know, really completely rebound from that to show total dominance and total greatness. You know, he had with Yorkis Gamboa, he won wide enough, but really didn't finish the job to stop Gamboa. Then he, he fought last Saturday, Jojo Diaz, a very good solid fighter who beat Kevin Farmer for his belt. And I was at the Diaz Farmer fight and I thought Diaz was going to beat Farmer and he did, but it was a relatively close fight against Farmer that Diaz won. And Farmer from your neck of the woods, Philadelphia knows a, a very good fighter, but not a world beater, not, not no. world, not world class. We, we can agree on that. And Jojo Diaz came short against Gary Russell, a wonderful fight. He only fights once a year. It's ridiculous. He fights enough Gary Russell basically to pay the bills. I mean. Yep. Oh, and, what a talent. But I was wanted to see Devin Haney dominate completely, completely dominate. Not to win clearly on the scorecards. That's not domination. He had two scores, a 117-111, the other 116-112. No one can dispute the decision. He clearly won, but it was a tough fight. He got hit a lot. I credit Devin Haney for standing and exchanging punches, but it just, uh, the level of dominance wasn't there. I mean, I tried to picture a guy like a Roberto Duran type, a lightweight, or Sugar Ray Leonard type. That Maybe that's a better comparison to Haney's style. I don't think those guys would be as hard-pressed. Those guys wouldn't get hit nearly as much. And Haney struggled even though he won by a wide margin. And he's not going to be the generational star that I thought he was. I have to retract that. It doesn't mean he can't be a Hall of Famer. But when we look back, when people are going to look back 20 years from now in this era, I have doubts whether they're going to look at Haney on the short list of great fighters of this era. But it remains to be seen. The jury's still out. But I may have jumped the gun on him. He's the equivalent of a draft choice that you think is going to be an all-time great. 
And instead of that, he's a very good, solid player. All right, Jack, you done? I am. You should have called, called me before that because as good as I thought Haney was and as skilled as he is, I never saw him in that mode. I think the fight that we saw the other night is kind of at least what I expected. Haney used his reach and his legs. He tried to control the fight with a jab. Occasional good right cross. But, you know, neither guy was hurt. Diaz had the advantage when he forced it. And then Haney reset, started to box, and went back to what he would try to do and just to reestablish control of the fight. But, you know, I don't think Haney was impressive. I think he was good. I'm not sure he was even outstanding. I'd say Haney fought an efficient fight, not an impressive fight. The lightweight division, as we both know, is a very fast track. And I've been saying this since we've been doing the show, Jack. We have all these lightweights that are really good. Do we know who the best is? No, we don't know who the best is. But I think it would be great for boxing if they all fought each other. And I don't think any one of them, maybe if Lomachenko was in his prime, but I don't think any one of them would go would go undefeated against the field. But boxing would have about five years of outstanding fights. Yeah, you know, Joe Bergman writes a workmanlike win for Haney, but that's not what I'm looking for in Haney. And he's talking with George Kambosis after the fight. And Haney's saying, yeah, he'll go to Australia Listen, a Sugar Ray Leonard type fighter would never go to Australia, you know, for a fight like that. It's like Haney needs these guys more than they need him. I, I think absolutely Haney would be such a big attraction. I thought he had that ability. Listen, you never know what fighters. I went out on the limb a lot of years ago predicting greatness on this featherweight. Remember Tom Boom Boom Johnson, okay? Yes. Tom Boom Boom Johnson, I thought could conceivably be an all-time great. And it depends on how you're judging him. He obviously wasn't, but he made 11 title defenses of his IBF featherweight title. That's pretty darn good. You know, 11 title defenses of any title you hold. But he never got to the point where I, you know, thought he would be. And maybe But Jack, do you know, if Haney fought all the guys in the division, and if he went undefeated, we would talk about him in that regard. I don't think that he will. But right. the book is not written, and these guys all have a legacy out there. But who's going to be the one to step up and grab it? I That's the one thing I like about Lomachenko. He is willing to fight everybody because he really wants to be the best. And I the, these lightweights, as good as they are, Jack, I really get tired of the fights on Instagram and Twitter. Shut up and fight each other. Okay. We know Mayweather's going to protect Tank, but the other guys clean right. out the division. Frank, the, look at all the lightweights. They fight for different promoters. That's yes. why it's hard Another problem. to make the fight. Uh, Ryan Garcia fights for Golden Boy Promotions. Uh, Tank Davis fights for Mayweather Promotions. TMT, okay? yep. Uh, Devin Haney fights for Matchroom Promotions. Okay. Uh, George Cambosis. He's fought for Matchroom, but he's promoted by DeBella. He's basically a free agent, it seems, you know, so kind of good for him. He could pick and choose a little more. You know, it's hard to get them all together. Like, like, uh, well, Tank Davis, for example, I, I had my say on Haney. I didn't see the fight with Tank Davis. Uh, uh, it was a pay-per-view show on a on a Sunday night last night while the Broncos were playing the Chiefs. I didn't think the undercard was particularly strong. No, it wasn't. I liked the card from top to bottom. I would have gotten the pay-per-view thing, but I usually don't because they usually don't give you a good undercard. It has to be worth it to me. And if I have a big game between the Denver Broncos and Kansas City Chiefs, for me to pay money – you know, to watch something else, you better give me a darn top of the line product. But with that said, Isaac Cruz, okay, came up with a much better effort than was really anticipated. Why don't you tell us about it, Frank? All right, Jack. First of all, let me just say this. Cruz is a nightmare to fight. He hits hard. He doesn't give you room to breathe. He carries his power. He moves his head. He takes a hell of a shot. His only liability is he's predictable. But even that doesn't mean much because 
he never stops coming at you. So I, I don't see many guys who would want to fight him. Davis had no choice but to fight in reverse. He said he hurt his hand. He fought as the counter puncher, but he did impress me, Jack, that he used his intelligence and he used every trick in the book, spinning him around. It was a tough, close fight. I think the decision was what, 115, 113 twice, 116, 112. It could have really gone either way. I didn't score it as I watched it, but Davis showed patience and maturity. You could see he was trying to get Cruz to tire himself out. He didn't, but Cruz never tired. Good performance by both guys. Davis has definitely reached his limit as far as size. And think about this. I was thinking about this earlier, and I, I shared it with a friend of mine. Davis and Lopez both fought guys that they feared they'd steamroll. And then they find out when they get into the fight that the guy they had in front of him was much better than they thought, and he was prepared. What happened? Lopez doesn't change a bit. Comes back with the same thing every round. Davis, he changes his style and, and adjusts the game plan. And, and you can make a case. That's why he won. He showed he was more diverse. He was in with a guy that gave him a tough style. He adjusted. And if he wasn't a real fighter, he would have lost to Cruz. He really would have. So I think it clears up as far as who's better between Tank and Lopez. I'm not saying that Tank would beat Lopez, but I think the Tank is the better skilled fighter. But again, if you have Tank, Lopez, Lomachenko, Garcia, and Stevenson, and even Haney, none of those guys are a lock to beat the other five. Nobody would go five for five. So the division could, could really heat up. And then if you bring in guys like Progreus and maybe Taylor at 140, God, boy, I'll tell you, Jack, there's a lot of fights out there. Yeah, I'll tell you the hardest one to beat in that group if they're fighting around 135. If not at this moment, then, you know, in the coming months, it's going to be Shakur Stevenson because he has that lockdown style. He's so hard to hit, so hard to penetrate his defense. Even if he's not going to look particularly good in a fight. He's, he's the water guy. He can adjust and he's getting stronger. I would agree yeah. with that. That yeah. he would be, he could morph into this style that would best be best suited to be who he had to be that night. He'd fight Lo, Lopez different than Tank. He'd fight Garcia different. So I would agree. I would agree with that. And I think I don't think we'll see those fights for a while. Well, but I do uh, think that he's probably he's the coming star. Eventually, these promoters, if they can't find an opponent. OK, for the guy they're promoting, they sometimes will go into a co-promotion. My feeling is the way it's going to play out, Cambosis, this is just my prediction, is going to fight Lomachenko next. That's the fight Lomachenko would want as well. Cambosis, Provided Lomachenko looks good Saturday night, uh, I agree. He just has to win Lomachenko. He has enough of a reputation. And if he doesn't look that good, Cambosis is going to want to fight him even more, you would think. But I kind of feel that's the fight. Cambosis is talking about an opponent coming to Australia, an 80,000-seat arena, it's going to be hard to get someone to go to Australia. Would Lomachenko actually go to Australia? Money talks. At I the have end no doubt in my mind Lomachenko would go. Right, right. But money talks at the end of the day as far as, you know, going there or not. And Tank Davis, who might, you know, I don't know what Mayweather's going no to do. No way, Jack. No way. I mean, I think they're going to want to try to protect, keep protecting him. Not that he needs protection per se, because he's a heck of a fighter. But I think Mayweather's taking a conservative approach. But they got to fight someone. I mean, they got to fight Jack. someone of substance. And, you know, who are they going to find? Jack, I agree. I think, and as Joe said earlier, you know, let's give Tank credit. So he did hurt his hand and he adjusted. He's more than a puncher. He's also reached his limit at 135. But back to what we were talking about. I believe Lomachenko wants his titles back so bad. And I think when he looks at Cambosa, he says, you know what? This guy's not quite as good as he looked against Lopez. I can handle him. And if I have to fight him to get my titles back, I'll go to Australia. And the other thing is with Tank, and we, we talked about this, and let's kick it around now. I have a theory. Why do you think they had to fight on a Sunday night with Tank? Uh, you tell me. 
All right, here's my theory. Okay, if you remember when Mayweather, Mayweather never fought pay-per-view until he fought Arturo Gotti in Atlantic City. Second the fight's over, that's it, I'm on pay-per-view. And he kind of conditioned the fans that from that point on, he was a pay-per-view fighter. Well, well he's he done it. Let me cut in. Didn't he fight his exhibition fight on a Sunday night? I'm not mistaken. The, the yeah, against numbers. against one of the Paul brothers. Yeah, but this but he's retired now. You know, he's a fun fighter. He's not a real fighter now. But he never fought on a Sunday night coming up. Now, my, my this is my opinion. Mayweather has tank on pay-per-view. So right now, Jack, fans are used to paying to see Tank fight. If Tank decides to fight you, it's going to be on pay-per-view. Okay? And I also think Mayweather had it on Sunday night because as we talked earlier, he didn't want to go against Haney because if Haney had better numbers, he loses that debate in the public's mind. And I also think that Mayweather's a type guy. Now, remember, he spent from the time he fought Oscar De La Hoya until he fought Pacquiao, he spent his whole career saying, my fans love me because I give them the fights they want, where nothing could be further from the truth. He never fought anybody the fans demanded when they demanded it. He waited for the other guy to be on the decline so now with the sunday night fight you figure it's the month of christmas like you said the broncos chiefs was a division game that they both needed okay this was a big weekend for football between college and the nfl i believe mayweather did that just in case the numbers were bad he could say well look we still did x amount of people and we had to go against we had to go against the NFL. We had to go against another fight. I think he did that. And I think when the numbers come out, Jack, regardless of what they are, the TMT is going to spin them that they were great numbers. And that's going to be Floyd's way of pushing the narrative that Tank is a future star and a pay-per-view fighter. But the thing about it, the bottom line is Tank's got to get paid. And eventually, Tank might show some discontent with Mayweather. You don't know what goes on behind the scenes. He might be saying, I should be getting $5 million a fight. Why am I getting $1 million a fight? Okay? And they're going to eventually have to open up and try to make Tank happy. I mean, that's Eventually, what yes. But I think because Mayweather's made so much money and he influences the kids so much, he'll say, look, Look, I was at HBO for a while fighting for a couple of million. Just follow the plan with me and I'll show you how to get there. And I think that's what's going to happen. And as I said earlier, Jack, if I was a gifted fire light tank, I'd certainly let Mayweather manage me for a while. There's no doubt about it. But I would leave at a certain point because there will come a point if tank gets too big Mayweather's going to try to get him knocked off, or he's not going to advise him well because no, we know. No, no, Frank. He's too insecure, Jack. Crazy conspiracy theory. That's not a crazy conspiracy. Tank Davis knocked off. Not for a while, but eventually. Down. You mean to tell me if Tank gets to be forty-eight, no, Mayweather's not going to try to get him knocked off. He Mayweather, doesn't want his legacy you know, threatened. He's not going to set him up deliberately to want him to lose. And listen, uh, Jack. I disagree. I would be leery of that. I would be leery of that. Jack, Terrence Crawford is what, 38-0? He's never going to go undefeated. But if Mayweather managed his career from here on out, we'd see Terrence Crawford retire undefeated so too. Okay, how is this theory? Could you imagine a fighter was approaching Mayweather's 50? And no, and that's a nonce. That's not even a record. That doesn't exist. That's a media creation. Right. Well, Floyd sold the narrative great. It's the word record. It's, it's media nonsense to talk about the 50 fights because we've had a number of fighters who went past 50 and 0, you know, in their career. So Mayweather doesn't hold any type of unbeaten streaks, anything along those lines at all. But Jack, it's the nonsense we heard with Rocky Marciano being 49 and 0. It's the, you know, total nonsense. Oh, I want to break the Marciano record. I mean, it, it, such a thing doesn't even really exist, but the media kind of goes. Well, they all they all shot shot for that. I mean, Larry Holmes talked about that too. But oh, Mayweather created by Larry Holmes himself. He embellished it by pointing to it and right. saying it's something like that exists. 
they set a benchmark, a make-believe benchmark, and everyone. But Jack, my 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 thought is this: I hate to rag on Mayweather, but I just think that he has really influenced the fans, and he's conditioned them into believing what's important, and he has them believing that that O is the whole key to it, and he taught these guys. How to protect it? Because at the end of the day, what was what did he always used to say? And he can use it with his guys. Well, who beat me? Well, you can't say. Well, I thought Castillo beat you the first time. He can say, well, we "What's my record say?" But haven't we heard that with Rocky Marciano? The unbeaten record was his ID card. Had Rocky lost one fight, at the if he would have lost to the Stars of fight. Everything be different. Yeah, exactly. If one of the decisions in the early on in his career, he fought Ted Lowry twice. And twice, never beat him the convincingly. Fight, the first fight, I, I have no idea. I mean, I didn't see it. No film exists, but reports were that Lowry may very well have won that fight. I mean, Jack, who but knows? here. But Here's the, the difference, though. Listen, uh, I'll judge Marciano on being a great heavyweight champion in this era, not because of right. the unbeaten record. And Mayweather, I'll judge as a great fight in his era, not because of any unbeaten records. But here's the difference between their records. Now, everybody can say that Marciano didn't fight any greats when they were in their prime. However, he was beating those guys more convincingly than anybody else was at that time. And the other thing is this. When Rocky retired, there was nobody left for him to fight. Sonny Liston had like six fights at that time. I'm Patterson made that 15. Nothing but good so his people. record to me is more authentic. That's all. It's a completely different record. One's got nothing to do with the other. I wouldn't compare a fighter from a different era. A record. Records are just numbers. They're deceiving. Uh, you just, you know, a, a lot of fighters suffer a number of defeats late in their career. Right. It really makes doesn't make the record look. But Jack, think about this. Think about this. Okay. You're a big football fan. So am I. Who's the greatest team you ever saw? I'd say the Chicago Bears. The, yeah, the 85 Bears? Bears? 85 Bears, yeah. Okay. When they do a lot, when NFL Films does a lot of these programs and they talk to the experts who was the best team. The, the unbeaten Dolphins never finished below number two. Why? Because they didn't lose. The and Bears I think in boxing. Be, they would have, the Bears would have crushed that Dolphin team. Okay. I've well, I don't that. even think, I don't I think the Bears Dolphins. are the best team ever. But Jack, the, yeah. the zero, wait, let me finish. The zero makes you live in immortality. As no, much as I love Rocky Frank. Marciano. No, no, Frank. So Andre Ward and Joe Calzaghe, do you consider them all-time greats? I certainly don't. I mean, in their uh, weight class, how if you had to name the top super middleweights of all time, they're two of the three or four. Super middleweight is a manufactured division. I'm but it's not going to go anywhere, Jack. It's it going to be here have, long after we're it gone. It doesn't have a long history. But it's one day history. it's going to. One day it's going to. And let me ask you this. Andre Ward, he could have lived with any no, of the top wait, light heavyweights. Roy Jones never competed too long in one particular division. It seemed like he moved around the division. Light heavyweight was where he made the most offensive. Yeah, he's not, but you wouldn't rate Roy Jones as one of the greatest light heavyweight champions of all time because he didn't spend a career there. I'd have him in the top ten. Archie Moore, you'd think of Archie Moore. You'd think of Bob Forster, Michael Spinks, guys who, you know, spent the vast majority of their career in that division. Foster's whole career, Archie Moore's whole career, Spinks most of his But career. Jack, again, okay. all I'm saying is this. Being undefeated keeps you in the conversation. Every every year in football, what do we have? When a team goes 6-0, oh, oh well, they beat the undefeated Dolphins records. That's why we talk about Marciano. That's oh, why we'll oh, talk about God. Mayweather. So it's like... I understand. To me and you, we know. But the people that they're selling these fights to, they think it's a big deal. And speaking yeah, I, of Bob Foster, go back and look at his record. He fought the weakest era of light heavyweights I've ever seen. Well, I don't have to look at his record. I saw him fight Frank in the head. He was a great fighter. A light heavyweight nearly as devastating as Bob Foster. He wouldn't just stop, guys. 
He stretched them, knocked them out. One punch power on like, you know. You have Jack, I love where the, I, I love where this is going because we're free flowing and we're talking about things. And let me just say well, this. I want to move. No, no, Frank. I, let me I want to say this one point. You talk about Foster, Dwight Muhammad Kwawi, Michael Spinks, Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, Marvin Johnson. And Yaki Lopez would have defeated every light heavyweight Bob Foster fought in a title fight on the night he fought them. I rest my case. Okay, but they wouldn't have beaten Bob Foster, you know. I think Wally and Braxton would. Uh, I mean, Spinks. Well, listen, let's talk about this weekend. We'll get, we'll get, you know, when we on the light heavyweights, it's this is a good lively debate. Uh, we talked about Lomachenko a little while ago. He's fighting Richard Kami at Madison Square Garden this Saturday night. You know, it's a busy night in New York. I mean, on Thursday night, let me just throw in the plug, the Boxing Writers Association of America is holding its annual awards banquet at the Edison Hotel in Manhattan. Some tickets are still available. Go to bwaa.org if you're interested in attending. And then the day after the Lomachenko fight, Ring 8 is holding its yearly awards banquet at Russo's on the Bay. But that's sold out, okay? But the BWAA still has. I mean, you couldn't get me in if I wanted you to. What? No you couldn't get me passes. in. No media passes are given to that because if media passes were given, think of it: all the writers would be going for nothing. And you know, and it's a banquet. It's not like right. a receipt. You know, meals are given the whole bit. Uh, but uh, what am I saying? Okay, and Saturday, Lomachenko. Think Lomachenko fights Richard Kami. A Good salad fighter. You know, he lost his IBF lightweight title. Tiafimo Lopez knocked him out in the second round. I I thought Lopez was going to knock him out in one round. I thought he was just going to nail him off the bat and Kami couldn't take Lopez's power. And that's what happened in the second round. But he he's a good salad fighter. Unless Lomachenko has slipped badly, he's not going to lose to Richard Kami. He should win decisively. People might play the comparison game. If Kami could go the distance, they might think, well, Tiafimo knocked him out in a couple of rounds. It doesn't reflect well on Lomachenko. I think Lomachenko can't just win, can't just win with some room to spare, but he really needs to dominate and send the message he's still amongst the short the elite for pound fighters, not just elite. I mean, not just maybe the best lightweight in the world, but maybe the best pound-for-pound pound fighter still. People aren't going to rate him number one after this performance, no matter what he does, but maybe top three pound-for-pound pound when all is said and done. And he needs to really send out a powerful message with a great, you know, scintillating performance. What do you think? I don't think – I agree with you. I don't think there's anything he can do to Comey – that can erase what Lopez did, but they're different styles, different fights. I expect Comey to go more rounds than two. And let's face it, Lomachenko, who I never had one pound for pound, but Lomachenko is not a full-fledged lightweight. He still may be fighting a division above where he belongs. Comey's a pretty good hitter, but the problem is, Jack, Comey is just so vanilla stylistically. He doesn't move that much. Lomachenko is stronger than people think. He has the best footwork in boxing. He's he's a pressure guy, but he's hard to hit. He makes you commit. He makes you reach, and then he peppers you. But I, I do think he will be dangerous, though, Jack, because Lomachenko has that gene. And I think anyone who follows boxing knows this guy has been bothered ever since he lost to Lopez. Look, he didn't take it well. He, he he cried about the decision. I thought he clearly lost, but you can tell it bothered him, and he's on a mission to get those belts back, and I think that's what makes him very dangerous. Again, Comey's big. He can punch, but stylistically, Lopez should, or Lomachenko should be able to do whatever he wants him, and I expect him to win the fight impressively and probably stop him. I, I had picked Lopez to upset Lomachenko when they fought because I saw that, you know, Lomachenko had been slipping. I kind of could notice it in some performances. And he had the bad shoulder, too. Yeah, but I, I didn't know about the shoulder, but I picked against him anyway in that fight. And, you know, having the shoulder surgery, coming back, 
I think it's a case of Lomachenko is never going to be the fighter he once was, but what's left is going to be a handful for whoever he goes against. That's and people forget. I kind of look at it. He's 34 years old. He'll be 34 next in February. He had 400 amateur fights. There are some miles on that body, but the one thing that helps him is he's never taken a beating. So he's not an old 34 other than just the miles he's put I on. I think that's overrated, Frank. I think what? that's one of boxing's great myths that we buy into say, well, the guy is get, get, has gotten hit a lot. He's taken some beatings. It's taken a lot out of him. Maybe mentally it has. If it's taken it out of him mentally, that's one thing I can understand entirely and, and agree with. But, you know, you get pounded in one fight. It doesn't take anything out of you physically if you're fighting six months later. I, I disagree, mean, Jack. I think every time they come out of the ring, they're less than what they were. One of those myths, the same way what they say they'd say with a fighter, well, if he had sex before, you know, a fight. Yeah, that could affect him if he hasn't been getting his sleep and getting his rest. But it doesn't affect him physically. And let, listen, they said that about a band, the Holofield, before he fought Tyson the first time. Oh, Holofield's been in so many tough fights. It meant nothing at all, you know, then. Uh, that, that's just the way I look at it. But that's... But that's I think, every Jack, every time they come out of the ring, I think they're less than what they were. I don't think the human body was meant to be hit like that. It may well, not show overnight. But NFL players, every time they're in a tough game and they get pounded, they're not as good the next game. It takes something out of them. So... They're not going to be the same player the next season. You could say that as well. I mean, that's a very physical sport. But listen, the other fights uh, this weekend, uh, Nonito Donaire's defending his WBO bantamweight title. You know what I like, uh, Awake, the Showtime Network? I'm like HBO that bailed out of boxing completely, and they made that business decision. And what a shame because HBO was the voice of boxing for It was. Fighters would have given anything to fight on HBO. And Showtime was like a poor relation. But now Showtime... Now Showtime's a boxing channel. But you know what Showtime reminds me of? A small market team. They're staying in business. They can still win. They can still get the right fights. But they've got to be extra smart. They don't quite have the resources. Let's say the zone... But, you know, they build relationships. They have a relationship with the PBC, with Al Heyman. And they're getting certain good fights showtime on there. So, you know, uh, kudos to them. They gave us the week before Brandon Figueroa, you know, and Stephen Fulton, a very good, solid fight. Those are the type of fights they could give us. And you want to know something, Frank, for guys like you and I, we love it. Absolutely. That satisfies our appetite. Those are good, good you know, fights and, uh, right. and occasionally they could do the pay-per-view route. They have the resources, but they can't kind of be all in with that. You know, another interesting fight's taking place. It's going to be actually on the, the zone Saturday. And it's in England, meaning if you're on the East Coast, you could get to fight about six in the evening, a very nice time. If you're on the West Coast of the United States, three o'clock. It's in the UK. It's uh, Connor Ben, Nigel Ben's son, who's forging a reputation of his own. He's unbeaten. And of course, they want to keep him unbeaten, like you were saying, with the marketability. He's fighting former belt holder Chris Algieri. Okay? Who has a lot of miles on him. He's got a lot of miles. But uh, yeah, he's, yeah, we think he's he does because he's older because he's been around. But Algieri is a physical fitness buff. He's heavily, he has a degree in nutrition from Stony Brook College. He's a very bright guy. Bright guy. So he's into all, he's so analytical. He watches everything he eats, how many vitamins he takes. He always enters the ring in phenomenal shape. Phenomenal shape. But, you know, and Conor Ben has been usually untested. He beat Adrian Granados. But, you know, okay, fine. But... He's usually usually untested, and Algeria at this point is a gatekeeper. And Algeria, and Algeria, like I say, has some mileage. Lost to Manny Pacquiao by decision, but basically got shut out, knocked down six times. And that was a while ago. 
and he moved up against Errol Spence, and Spence stopped him in the fifth round. Spence just was so much better. But listen, he could surprise us. You know, he fortified at the Garden against a British Tommy Coyle, and he stopped him. So he might have a little going for him. Do you see any way our jury, who's not a puncher, could maybe hand Conor Ben, you know, his first defeat upset him? No, I don't think he has the power to beat him up enough to get the decision over there. And the fact that he's not a big puncher makes him safe, and it's a good name on Conor Ben's record. But this is basically a setup, and Algieri knows the score, and he just hopes maybe he can pull it off. If he pulls it off, he, he gets some more money. But he's a safe opponent, but he's not a guy that's going to come in and lay down. He's going to make him work. He's going to have to work and show a little bit because Algieri, again, on the decline, but a tough, intelligent guy that can pr protect himself and take care of himself. So I expect Connor to win by stoppage. I don't know about the rounds, but I have no doubt who, who wins the fight. Frank, we're into the December. What's our December anniversary fight? What did you dig out of the files? We are going to look at the Donald Curry, Milton McCrory fight from December 6th, 1985. If you remember at the time, Jack, Sugar Ray Leonard was out of the picture and there were three welterweights who were making noise. Curry, Starling, and McCrory. Curry fought them both. He fought Starling twice. And, and what's interesting about that is their styles were different. Curry was a boxer puncher with quick hands and power. Starling was an outstanding defensive fighter. And McCrory, a lot of people thought he was the next Tommy Hearns, fought out of Kronk, trained by Manuel Stewart, six foot two, jab, right hand, fought behind the jab, moved around. And they both they fought for the undisputed title. Curry 24-0, McCrory 7, 27-0. And it was the first welterweight unification bout. Since the Leonard Hearns fight. I, I just got to say something about Milton McCrory. I don't think people were overly high on him because he'd had two tough fights with Colin Jones, the British, uh, uh, with his title on the line. And one, right. the first one was a draw. The second one, McCrory won, but it was a tough fight that went the distance. So McCrory didn't have that little bit of invincibility that Tommy Hearns had going on. No, but fight. Jack were... But that's a fast track to compare him to Hearns because Hearns is one of the all-time, all-time greats. Well, you mentioned some people, you know, maybe in Detroit. But listen, McCrory was handled, I believe, by Emmanuel Stewart. So, yes. uh, if I'm mistaken. And McCrory was very capable. And when we talk about Donald Curry, his, he's a Hall of Famer, got inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in Canastota. Right now, he's undergoing certain depression we wish, you know, him nothing but the best, you know. that, And he uh, only had 40 fights, Jack. That works out for him. But, but you know, Donald Curry at his best, he reminds me of a great baseball player who didn't have the long career, who's not in his Hall of Fame, Don Mattingly. He, you know, for a short window, Donald Curry, let's say for a year and a half, two years. From 82 was, to 85. Right. He was... In the same league as Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, Jack. Tommy Hearns. In the same league, I'm saying. You could say he was as good for a year or two, arguably. Jack. When he was, yeah. Curry was one of the greatest fundamental fighters I have seen in my lifetime. He was a textbook fighter, no wasted movement or punches. Every, he did everything the way it was supposed to be. He was efficient. He threw short, concise punches. Actually, his style was Joe Lewis to a degree and a little bit of Alexis Urquello. But you talk about how good he was. Now, I, I don't think we've covered this yet, but I am a huge Sugar Ray Leonard fan. And I think he's I one of the to. top three greatest fighters of my lifetime. I have him number two at welterweight. And I have Hearns in the top five. However, the night that Curry took apart McCrory, I remember I had two of my best friends who I watched boxing with at the time. Actually, we still get together. Look, thank God. 
I remember saying to them after McCrory was taken apart by um, am I still on? Yeah, I hear you, Frank. Frank, you hear me? Jack? I'm here. Can you I'm hear here. me? I hear you. You uh, Okay, we're talking Can you hear me about now? We're, we're talking about Donald Curry here. And uh, when you hear me, Frank, you know, cut in whatever, but I'll I'll pick it up. I'll come in out of the How about uh, now. Well, you hear me? Okay, but what? Okay, I'll Donald be right there. Curry, Donald Curry was like a you know picture perfect against Milton McCrory. The way he you know stopped him in the second round. I mean, it was like right perfect of performances. Okay, uh, Donald Curry, but Donald Curry didn't maintain it over his career. And was the problem maybe making weight? That's what they said. But ultimately, he kind of started losing it. Some fighters age gracefully. Donald Curry didn't really age gracefully. When he started to lose it, he went from being an all-time great, you know, based on a year or two. I don't mean he established himself as an all-time great, but talent-wise, to just a very good fighter. You know, he lost to Lloyd Honeygin. He was, maybe he was weight drained. Maybe it was a question of style. Jack, when I got, when I got that call knocked off the air, I didn't hear you. But what I was saying was, I had said after that fight, I think this kid is so good that I'm not sure Leonard Hearns definitely beat him. I thought that highly of him. But now we found out he had some, maybe some substance problems. He had trouble making weight. And it's a shame because he fought Lloyd Hunnigan about six months after he fought uh, McCrory. And he was taken apart by Hunnigan, Jack. He was never the same. He went 10 and 6 in his next 16 fights. And it's a shame because the best Donald Curry, I think, could have lived with any welterweight I had seen. And I'll tell you what, since Curry... I remember thinking, I can't remember the last time I was exact excited about a fighter. And since Curry, you know who that fighter is? Terrence Crawford. Now okay. watch him get watch okay. him get taken apart. Well, but what happened with Donald Curry after losing to Honeykin, he eventually won another version of a world title. Then he had a big fight against Mike McCallum. He moved up to junior middleweight. McCallum is a great fighter, great, great fighter. And Curry was he won three of the first four rounds. He was they, winning the fight Curry before he got caught. Everything into it. McCallum wasn't a one-punch knockout artist. Nowhere close. But McCallum caught Curry with a big hook while Curry was pulling back. Pulling back, back. yeah. Knocked out for 10 count. That was a bit of an aberration for Curry to get knocked out by McCallum with one punch. Yeah, so, that, that wasn't the... Pristine no, Donald Curry. Listen, if they fought a hundred times, chances are that wouldn't have happened again. You know, that sometimes happened, but it did happen. And, you know, and then Curry just, it just. Yeah, he, he, he had a short window, but for that window, if you could take him from that window and match him up with a lot of all-time greats, I could see him going 500. He was that good, yeah, but was. only for a little but while. Speaking of spotlight in an all-time great, uh, spotlight fighter is uh, familiar to everyone, you know, pretty iconic, uh, former multiple division champion, Julio Cesar Chavez. We, we were talking about Salvador Sanchez not long ago, another great Mexican. But if there was a vote amongst fans, even the Mexican people, include, and this would include Canelo in the conversation, Who's the greatest Mexican fighter of all time? It would, it would be Julio Cesar Chavez would get the vote. You know, the majority of the votes, I would think. What's your impression of Chavez? Uh, are you biased against him because he beat your Philadelphia guy, Meldrick Taylor? So you're probably... No, Jack, I didn't even see Taylor. that one coming. Okay, well, I, okay, you know what, yeah, Jack? I'll get you back to New York, biased, guys. Yeah. No, but I will say this. That fight should not have been stopped. And Taylor was handling him 
and well, never was the same it, after that. I shouldn't have set you up with that. I should have waited. But what did you think of Chavez's overall greatness? Do you rate him as an all-time great? Yeah, Jack. I think I don't think he's at the top of the list, but I think he's up there. I mean, the guy's 31 and four, 31, four and two in title bouts, three division champ. He was an attacker. He was a great pressure fighter with a cast iron chin. He cut off the ring beautiful, had a great left hook to the body, was always in shape. His performance against Edward Morzario back in November of 87 may have been his peak. His record is a who's who's list. My problem with Chavez later on was I didn't like how he reacted when things started not to go his way. I think that Frankie Randall was hosed the second time they fought. He clearly beat him the first time. He got a gift against Pernell Whitaker. But, I mean, look, it's Chavez. How could you put him down? The guy was fun to fight. And for that run that he had from the mid-'80s into the mid-'90s, he was one of the top pound-for-pound guys. I would love to have seen him in our Guayo fight at, at maybe 26 or 30 or even 35. I'm going to tell you, you were mentioning earlier in the show, and you it was just an example, nothing more, that had Lestaz had gotten the decision over Marciano how the perception of Rocky might be different today. But let's talk about Chavez. When he was a champion, the junior, a junior lightweight champion, he got a couple of close decisions over Rocky Lockridge and Juan Laporte. Let's say Chavez didn't get those decisions or didn't get one of them. You know, the perception might not have been the same because keep this in mind, Chavez had something like 87 fights before he officially lost. Exactly. We know, we know Whit- Pernell Whitaker should have gotten the decision over before that. They fought in San Antonio, and the consensus was that Whitaker won eight rounds to four. That was just about everyone's consensus. And Chavez was gifted with a draw in that fight. Uh, but And then there was Frankie Randall after, but he was on the downside when he fought Randall. I think he was still in his prime when he fought Whitaker. But against Randall, you know, it was like most fighters. He was starting to uh, go downhill a bit. But Chavez was a great fighter. Him and Alexis Arguello would have been a dream match. And it would have been a fight that really could have gone either way. It really could have gone You know, gone Jack, I think so. I like Arguello in that fight because of styles. But I could see Chavez giving him a hard time. I, I like Arguello. I'll tell you why. Because... Chavez has to come into you. He's an attacker. He's a swarmer. I think at those at, at 130, 126, 135, I think that's suicide doing that against Alexis Arguello. And if you think about it, he had to go to 140 before he got stopped by another all-time great in his prime in Aaron Pryor. So if it took Pryor 14 rounds to break him down, I don't think Chavez could knock him down or out. I would have taken Arguello, but I would have paid a lot of money to see that fight. Yeah, you know, the most famous fight of Chavez's career, we could talk about it now, the first Meldrick Taylor fight. And I kind of changed my view a little over the years. Uh, At the time it happened, I was furious with referee Richard Steele because Taylor was winning the fight headed to victory, got knocked down at the end of the fight. And my feeling was, you know, watch him carefully, you know, let him continue. But revision, There was only two seconds left, Jack. He couldn't even hit him. My biggest beef, okay, with Richard Steele is this, is still this, okay? Even though I'm willing to now give him a pass and I'll explain why. He said, even had he known there were two seconds, it wouldn't have made a difference. He still would have stopped the fight. That was such an idiotic remark to make. Chavez is standing across the ring with two yes. seconds left, and you're going to stop it? It would take Chavez two seconds to just get to him, and the final bell rang. And the 10-second warning that, light was on. Richard Steele, you know, it was a clownish remark to make, unfortunately, by Richard Steele. But I'm, I'm thinking in terms this way. First off, 
Taylor was headed to victory, no doubt about it. He and he was out. beating him up, not just outboxing him. Things, a couple of things. We well, he wasn't really beating Chavez up. Let, he was say, he was working he him over pretty good, him. Jack. No, 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 he was thoroughly. He was outboxing him, putting on a clinic at times, but not not punishing Chavez. Okay, let's put it that way. Well, he Chavez was, wasn't. No, he wasn't close to going down, but he was landing some really good shots I mean, and stopping him in his tracks. Of course he was, but when you say beating him up, I feel a guy. I, I, I think he was doing more than outboxing him. I think he was handling him. Okay, uh, he was handling him. I agree. A couple of things stand out in that fight, okay? Going into the last round, one judge, okay, I think it was Dave Moretti, had Chavez ahead. What fight are you looking at then? I mean, I'm and we could do 10 shows on that. That never ends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I mean, I it was an honest, let's say it's people have an honest assessment of Chavez. Listen, one judge had Canelo even with Mayweather at the end of 12 rounds, you know, and then the Whitaker Chavez fight being called a draw. But that's not here with that. But late in the Jack, fight, you know what I think hurt Meldrick Taylor in that fight? And I really believe yeah. this. If you remember back then, and I know you do, Chavez was the man in boxing. Other than Mike Tyson, Chavez was the man. And Taylor was so gunned up to beat him. I really think he went out in the 12th round against Lou Duva's instructions. And I think he wanted to try to get the stoppage. Where if he would have stayed away and boxed him and played it safe, he Wait, probably finishes. I disagree with you. I don't remember what Lou Duva said, and I like Lou Duva a heck of a lot. A good, good man. I like Lou Duva personally a lot. But I remember Gil Clancy talking right after the fight, saying you should never tell your fighter to do something he couldn't do. Supposedly they were telling Meldrick Taylor you needed to stop Chavez. And that's what Clancy complained about. Never tell your fighter something he's not capable of doing. And there was no way Taylor could have stopped Chavez in the 12th round or had the power to knock him out at any other time. Maybe cut no, him. No, but he could have moved and not engaged with so, him. Let and me get back. Let me finish my thought there. So late in the fight, uh, Taylor gets knocked down. And it's frustrating because you feel... Taylor's headed to victory. Just make it to the final bell and the fight's yours. And it would have been on two of the scorecards. But so what happens? He gets knocked down. Lou Duva climbs the ring steps early, early. Shouldn't have done that before the final bell. But I guess he's, Lou Duva, you know, is maybe trying to get the ref to pause this or that, you know. But it backfired because Meldrick Taylor took a look at his corner. You know, and yes. all this eye, and Richard Steele is asking Meldrick twice, are you okay? Had Meldrick Taylor nodded at once, I, I understand he's caught deep in thought. Yeah, let me fight. You know, that's that's what fighters do a lot of times. They get knocked down. They might think, let me fight. But then again, Meldrick Taylor maybe never thought he was in danger of getting stopped because he'd been dominating. But it was a heavy knockdown, a very Oh, heavy no, he was hurt. Knockdown. He was hurt. Okay, so Richard still stops it for two seconds where I raged, but it came out later. Meldrick Taylor took a fierce beating in the fight, even though he was winning the rounds. He was winning the rounds, you know, and should have gotten the it took everything out of him to fight Chavez the way he right, did. But Chavez was hurting Taylor a lot more than Taylor was hurting him. It didn't translate into Chavez being given rounds or should have been given rounds. I agree. I had Taylor ahead. He was on his way to victory. And that my feeling on that hasn't changed. But I'm willing, considering the shape Meldrick Taylor was in afterwards, and some of the ring deaths we've seen that come up all of a sudden late in the fight, one punch could just change everything. I thought under the circumstance of Taylor not responding to Steele the way, you know, he maybe perhaps could have I, I, I'm okay. I'm willing, in other words, to pardon Richard Steele. I'm not saying I did. I agree with his decision to stop it, but I'm no longer one of those who just mad at Richard Steele saying he, he messed up. I, you know, he stopped it. He stopped it. I can understand why 
and let it go with that. Jack, it bothered me then and it bothers me now. And everyone talks about to this day, forget about what happened. We know what happened. I think it was stopped too soon. Meldrick was winning the fight. I think he went out to try to finish him. I've heard conflicting things about what the corner said, but the bottom line is this. He went out at a fast pace because I think he wanted to win by stoppage. However, everybody talks about, well, Whitaker beat Chavez and yeah, 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 he did. Okay. But that was three years later. Okay. If you look and you go back and watch that fight and you see what Taylor was doing to Chavez, we had never seen anyone do that to Chavez before. I mean, Chavez, one of those guys, you're not going to knock him out. But, Jack, he was beating him almost like Robinson was LaMotta. He just couldn't finish him. But, that, I mean, nobody gave Chavez any kind of a beating until Meldrick Taylor fought him. It's a shame because the kid's career was never the same. I remember. He, he was, Chavez was not taking a beating, Frank. He was getting out box. Meldrick Taylor was putting on a clinic at times with his. Jack, you just because you're not hurt doesn't mean you're not taking a beating. Some guys you just can't hurt. They have steel here. But yeah, Chavez was really, getting beaten up and worked Chavez. over. You're I'm telling you. But, you Jack, are. here's the funny thing. I remember going into Frazier's gym. Had to be in the early 80s one Sunday. And Meldrick Taylor was probably about 10 or 11 there. And I see this little kid shadow boxing. And I knew his brother, Myron. And I see, I said, who's that? He goes, that's my brother. I said, that little kid looks like Sugar Ray Robinson. And he said, Frank, he goes, he's gunning for the Olympics in a couple of years. So maybe he was a little older than the 12 or 14. But he said, this kid is he's going to be in the Olympics and he's going to win a gold medal. And it just so happens to be that he did. But to see him might've been even before 80, but to see a kid that young put his punches together, like he did, he looked like a little Sugar Ray Robinson. Do you know what's going on with Meldrick Taylor now? He hit upon hard times. Obviously his career went downhill after losing the first Chavez fight. He did win a version of the belt. It was a good win over Aaron Davis. He won at the WBA Weltweight title. I was at that fight in AC. There you go. But he, he wasn't the same Meldrick Taylor after the first Chavez fight. No. And includes the Davis fight. Then he had the odd thing is he had the rematch with Chavez. Chavez had a lot more left than Taylor. Taylor yes. was actually outboxing him for a good part Again. of the match, too. But then he, he didn't have the staying power because. At the end, Taylor was just a shell of himself. Yeah, that fight took a lot out of Taylor. He was never the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, same thing. You could say, here's an example. Okay, look at the first Ali Frazier fight. When you're watching that fight, you're not really thinking Ali is beating him up, but he gave him a pretty good going over. And you know what? I think we both agree. Joe was never the same. As he had some good nights against Ali and Manila and the I, second quarry fight. Down. It's mental, Frank. It's not physical at all. It's mental. When you've put everything you have into something, you're not the same. Listen, I experienced that running marathons, okay? I'd run a few marathons in a row. I'd always gotten a personal best. And I was so psyched for mar one marathon. The weather conditions were bad. I had a horrendous race. And for the next six months, I hardly went out to run. Mentally, wasn't the same. And then when I resumed, I, it just wasn't quite. Mentally, bad. it's a big part of it, Jack. Yeah. But, you know, the, even though I thought Meldrick was handling Chavez, that fight took a lot out of him well, because well, Chavez know, was a heavy hitter. We should have spotlighted Meldrick Taylor. We're talking more about him than Chavez here. Well, because <laughs> that was Chavez's signature fight. Uh, that's interesting. Signature win. Uh, would it you said that you, you said that's the fight everybody remembers him for. That's to me, that's a signature fight. No, no, I agree. No, no, listen, I agree. I don't regret saying it, but I'm thinking that Chavez have any other fight that could compare to that. But, uh, you know, let's think of it by next show if, if something pops into our head. But, Frank, like always, it's great talking boxing. Uh, I can't wait to talk again next week. We'll have the Lomachenko fight to talk about. And, uh, more news with the lightweight division, the other divisions. It's always been a pleasure, okay? See you next Jack, week. Jack, it was great friend. talking to you. And until next week, 
We'll talk to you then.